listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us every week as we break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what is likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr. Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist. Well, it's been all over the news recently. ChatGPT, the little chatbot that could, uses AI to have human-like conversations, produce written content and break down complicated topics into plain English and so much more. Elon Musk has described it as scary good and it's still just in its research phase. Now, it has raised a ton of concerns around quantum artificial intelligence explored in a recent opinion piece by Nicholas Harrington on Project Q, which we'll be discussing today. Thanks for being here, Keith. Before we dig deeper, can you actually explain what quantum AI is? Um, yeah, I don't understand quantum theory. <laughs> I go to all these lectures and all I do is come out with a headache. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I felt trying to understand it. <laughs> so we, we talk about this quantum era. So we're talking about how the universe operates at very small distances. So when Isaac Newton came along 400 years ago, he came up with all sorts of grand ideas about how the universe would work, and so we end up with the theory of gravity and all the rest of it. And that basically lasted until the first assault, which was Albert Einstein, mm-hmm. who said, look, when you're dealing with these really huge areas in the universe, you've got to look at time and space differently. Yeah. And then later on, you get people who are doing research at the microscopic level on nuclear matters, and they were saying, well, Newton doesn't apply here either. So it doesn't apply at the very big level and it doesn't apply at the very small level. Now, you and I are not affected by this because, you know, we, we get out our measuring rule when we're <laughs> buying a new carpet, or yes, et cetera. Yes. So that, that's not uh, affected. But at the very big scale, when you talk about the universe or at the very small scale, we're talking about small sums of energy and all this. And, and it really, I find it very difficult mm. to get my head around this stuff. Mm. And even now, you know, it looks as though atoms can react with each other at a distance. Okay. Which even Albert Einstein said that this is spooky action. (laughs) (laughs) So um, the quantum side of it is still very much open to discussion. Some people reckon it's the big new breakthrough in terms of computer technology. So we'll leave silicon Mm. and then we'll go into a whole new world. A very good quantum computer eventually will be able to crack every code that you can invent. So that makes banking now suddenly insecure. Mm. So you've got all these issues. Now, what Nicholas Harrington is doing is linking that in with what we're seeing with open AI, artificial intelligence. So artificial intelligence is machine learning. In other words, the computer learns on its own. Mm -hmm. And that's spooky as well. Yes. Because we don't know what's going on inside the computer. Mm -mm. The computer has been taught to think in a way and... We don't know how it is thinking, but it ends up with getting the right results. One of my favourite examples of this is playing games. Originally, we had the game of chess Mm -hmm. where humans used to be the world leaders. And then 30 years ago, IBM came up with a a computer that beat the world champion at chess. But the argument was, oh, yeah, well, chess is an easy game. A computer cannot be invented to win at Go because Go apparently has more moves than their atoms in the universe. Wow, okay. And yet the world champion now is is a computer yeah. developed by Google. And there's a very good movie available for free 
on YouTube looking at AlphaGo. And even the humans that developed this winning computer, clearly a little uneasy about what they've created Mm -hmm. and what it means for them. So we're living in a new era when people are drawn to doing this research and yet at the same time have in the back of their minds the fact that the research could come back and bite them. Yeah, or their successes. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, maybe not them, but maybe the you know the people who come after them. In the article, Harrington specifically refers to his experience using ChatGPT, which is this open AI program. Can you talk us through what his initial thoughts of it were? Yeah, well, he was a bit like me, a bit like cagey about all of this. Um, he read about the way in which uh, there was a script which had been invented by ChatGPT where you ask, write a script between Britney Spears and William Shakespeare. (laughs) Shakespeare is annoyed that Britney is always on Instagram. (laughs) Britney brings Shakespeare down a peg or two. The bot will do it, and it's not bad. Pretty funny, he says. I must admit I haven't checked it out. So what they've done is basically upload everything that they've been able to get their hands on up until the year 2021. Mm -hmm. By the way, I'm... I'm now teaching students who've got access to this technology. And what I'm doing for research essays is giving them new topics that have arisen in the last year or so. Clever. Because that won't be so easily available on ChatGPT. But it just shows how we're being challenged to think differently about these things. So this Nicholas Harrington then is, is saying, well, the issue is, can the audience tell the difference? That's the the key thing here. Whether or not we like it, artificial intelligence and machine learning are going to have an impact on the labour market. And indeed, technologies like chat, GPT, may already be contributing to labour shedding in the fields of media, marketing and communications. In other words, chat, GPT just writes very basic material for people. And it's a way in which perhaps ordinary journalistic stuff could be done through AI. Mm. We know that AI can compose music. There's a movie that I show to my Boston University students called Humans Need Not Apply, and the soundtrack is actually composed by a computer. Wow. And yet it sounds like an ordinary soundtrack for a Hollywood movie. It's terrifying. It is. In a way. Yeah. And you're right, the question is... Well, we know. If you weren't told that, would you have known? I wouldn't have known, no. And, yeah, I had a go on ChatGPT after you sent me this article. It is still free to use. I found it interesting because... I was doing, I, you know, obviously I'm a journalist and, you know, a lot of the times we need to condense a big amount of facts into something small and I tried it. And while it couldn't write for audio, so it was struggling to write how I would write for, say, this podcast it could condense the information really quickly. And I guess that's got people thinking, and you touched on it a little bit there, what does this mean for white-collar workers? You know, what's going to happen? Well, the blue-collar workers, of course, were wiped out by the first wave of of computers. So Mm. we've got a Tesla factory, for example, that doesn't contain too many humans, and it's all done by machines. And now we're going to go after the white-collar jobs like like yours as journalists, yeah, copywriters, et cetera. So, yes, it's, it's certainly going to create all sorts of problems. Now, the argument is, let me just, let me give you the alternative argument, is to say, yes, jobs are being shed, but don't worry because computers will create new employment opportunities. That's the argument. And we simply cannot imagine what that would be like. So if you were to go back to the beginning 
of the previous Industrial Revolution in Great Britain in 1750, we had the mechanization mm. of the making of fabric. So instead of somebody sitting at home with their own spinning wheel, you could get a factory that would produce the stuff with an efficiency rate of 250% over the ordinary human being. And then the human beings who became redundant because we weren't needing these piece workers at home, they found jobs elsewhere. On the one hand, yes, people are going to lose their jobs. On the other hand, there will be new jobs, which at the moment we cannot even imagine they will be created. That's the alternative point of view yeah. to this one about jobs disappearing and a jobs Armageddon. But in fact, people may be retrained for new things. That's the problem, I think. If you look at somewhere like West Virginia in the United States, big supporter of Trump, these were people who were traditional Democrat voters and they were working in the coal mines. The coal mines have been closed down and people are not willing to move out of West Virginia mm. and be retrained. Now, West Virginia is a lovely state. It would be ideal for the tourist industry, but somebody who's had a lifetime of working with coal might have difficulty mm. being a tour guide. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. so there's no guarantee that you... Now, we can retrain the children. They're, they're fine. But the problem is, what do you do about adults? It's that middle time yeah. that makes it really difficult. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. This week, we're discussing quantum AI and its potential impacts. Keith, I have heard some criticism around governments and that they're not getting involved in this space enough to ensure it's properly regulated. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. And I think it's the old story that technology always runs ahead of politicians. Politicians are always slow to catch on to these big technological changes. We saw that even in the, the original Industrial Revolution. That revolution began in the Midlands of Great Britain, not in Westminster. And if anything, the politicians were unhappy about what was going on with the development of coal mines and factories, etc. So the politicians are always lagging behind. And clearly the politicians have difficulty, like the rest of us, in just trying to work out what we're going to do about this. The problem is the genie is out of the bottle, to mix the metaphor, and you can't now say, well, we will stop all this research. Research has a momentum of its own. Yeah, absolutely. And there are also concerns, and I wanted to touch back on it. You just made the point. You're a teacher, and there are concerns about how this is going to affect students' learning. I asked ChatGPT, write me a poem about my dog. <laughs> and it spat one out, and it was really good. Yeah. And so, you know, it can also do reports, essays, but a teacher might not be able to spot the plagiarism. In fact, there's a slim chance that they would. What are your thoughts on the impact of this and how well, it will impact students' learning? Well, it's interesting because, as I say, we've, we were discussing this at the Boston University faculty meeting a few weeks ago at the beginning of the new academic year, and really no one's got any policy on this. I'm criticising politicians for being taken by surprise, <laughs> but academics, for exactly the reasons you've identified, mm. are in the same boat. Now, one of the things that you could do if you set an essay question would be to put the essay question into chatbot and use that as a template to compare it with what the students might hand in. Sure. But if the students have got any sense, they'll get around it by changing the question slightly Yes. as a way of getting around that scrutiny. It's going to be a really challenging. Are you are academics discussing this with their students? Are they saying you might know about this program and its availability, 
don't use it. Like, <laughs> is that happening? Well, it was interesting because when I was talking about the research essay topics that I've given to my students, I did actually say these are all new topics in political science and chatbot won't be of help to you because that finishes in the year 2021. That buys me a bit of time. <laughs> it's, it's no good my saying to students don't do it because I fear that they will. Yeah. And the students are well aware of it. I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> All the rest of the faculty at BU are dinosaurs. Um, the students are well ahead of us in terms of how they're going to be able to use chat, GPT. Yeah. What it will do, by the way, mm. is it'll put emphasis back onto the unseen exam, which we would abolished. I remember when I was an undergraduate, this is when dinosaurs roamed the earth, <laughs> when I was a, an undergraduate, you had your entire work summed up by a three-hour examination mm. with a paper, un, unseen paper. So all of your life depended upon how you did in those three hours. And then we moved towards what's called continuous assessment. So people can write essays uh, during the term, etc. I think that one of the impacts of chat GPT would be to say we've got to go back to those unseen three-hour question sessions. Yeah. Because if you give people the opportunity to better study in their own time, they will go to chat GPT. So it's actually going to make life more difficult because the problem with the three-hour exam is that it occurs on one day and the future of your life depends on how well you do on that one day with that three-hour paper. Yeah, which is hard in it, in and of yeah. itself. But you're right, it might be something that people have to look to doing in the future. We've talked about some of the perhaps negative impacts, but what do you think the benefits of quantum AI are? I think the, the benefits will be that we may well be able to bring about some sort of new intellectual renaissance. Mm. As I say, we don't know what's going to come out of this in the same way that if you go back to 1750 and you were talking to people who are based at home weaving fabric. No one at that time could have imagined an era of factories employing lots of people and producing heaps of material and given us the abundance, which you and I benefit from at uh, right. this day. Yeah. So there may well be some advantages that are not yet that obvious for us. Maybe we could end up with a society where you only have to work for a few hours each week. That'd be nice. Uh, <laughs> I'll do that one. Sounds good. So who knows? Yeah. Um, if you're a techno-optimist, then you'd say, look, let's plunge straight ahead, make the most of it. We can get improvements in healthcare. I was with a person yesterday who was um, producing a new form of healthcare. His argument is that so much of healthcare is actually just disease care. And so this is going to use constant monitoring of biomarkers and will find ways of keeping you healthy, and AI will be an important part of that. Now, of course, the problem is you get people to live longer, then they've got to work out what they're going to do with that extra life <laughs> that they're going to be giving. So that, that's a, a bit of a challenge for them. There's no doubt that AI is going to have a firm place in our future. What lessons do you think we need to heed now to make sure that, you know, it doesn't run away with itself? Well, I think the important thing is that people need to keep up to date with what's going on. The problem is, as the Anglo-American poet T.S. Eliot said, humanity can only bear a little reality. Mm -hmm. And so we disappear back into discussing sporting results and, and other things. Celebrities. And celebrity. Mm -hmm. So we really need to be just monitoring what is going on. 
And so at the moment, that's all, the only advice I can give you because we can't stop it. You've now got more and more financial interest coming into this. Google, of course, is keeping a close eye on this because if chat GPT works, well, you don't need a Google search engine. That's right. So Google becomes unemployed. Mm. So all sorts of implications arising out of this. All I can do is to simply say to people, try to monitor the situation and just keep across it and be aware of, of the fragility of your own employment prospects. Yeah. And to finish, Nicholas Harrington, in his article, he got Chatbot to write a poem. <laughs> I'd love for you to recite it for us. All right. So this is um, the challenges. He said he wanted to write me a poem describing the situation in the year 2080. Okay. So, right, we're looking ahead 60 years into the future. Mm-hmm. And in the blink of an eye, Chatbot comes back with the following. In 2035, a new dawn broke. Quantum AI, a new path, it spoke. Advances made in medicine, energy and transportation. Communication too, a new sensation. But with new tech comes new plight. Jobs lost, humans' futures not so bright. In warfare too, it brought new strife. Autonomous weapons, a dangerous life. Surveillance too, now all can see. Privacy lost for all to be. Trust in authority, now it's gone. Democratic institutions, now forlorn. But humanity's spirit, it cannot break. Together they'll find a way to make. A better future, they'll strive and strive. A new dawn, they'll keep alive. Quantum AI, a double-edged sword, bringing progress but also a new horde of challenges to overcome and face. For a better future, they'll find a place. I can't think of a better way to end today's episode. (laughs) Absolutely. Dr. Keith Suter, thank you for your company. Thank you. Global Truths is presented by Dr. Keith Suter and me, Sasha Barber-Gatt. Audio production by Niall Fernandez. Theme and original music by Matt Nikolic.